So when he got to the United States, he was sitting in a bar having a cheeseburger and somebody recognized him because he had been on America's Most Wanted. And that's how he got caught. That's the voice of yoga teacher Tracy Davis. She's speaking about one of her students, Jerome Bargo, a prisoner at Arkansas's Varner Unit High Security State Prison who's serving 140 years for attempted murder and burglary. Bargo had been on the run for 15 years after escaping prison in 1988 and fleeing to Venezuela, garnering enough attention for him to be featured on America's Most Wanted and Unsolved Mysteries multiple times. After returning to prison in the early 2000s, Bargo found yoga, but he also found that the Christian-run penitentiary was hostile toward the practice. The fight over his yoga practice led Bargo to a legal battle that ended in the United States federal court and hinged on the Religious Land Use and Institutionalized Persons Act, a federal law that prohibits keeping prisoners from worshiping as they please. The act was passed in both the House of Representatives and the Senate by unanimous consent in voice votes in 2000. It also defined the term religious exercise to include any exercise of religion, whether or not compelled by or central to a system of religious belief. Bargo won his case in 2015 after years of fighting. From Yoga Journal, I'm Lindsay Tucker, and this is The Yoga Show. I first learned of Jerome Bargo in 2019 when he sent me a letter praising his yoga teacher, Tracy Davis, and alerting me to the case. We've since been in contact by phone. He calls me to update me on the conditions inside the Varner unit during COVID and to brief me on the new case he's a part of that seeks to obtain vegan meals for those who require them. Jerome has a ton of communication restrictions. We brought Tracy, Bargo's spiritual advisor and yoga teacher, on the show as a proxy of sorts to shed some light on her prison yoga program and what it's like for yoga practitioners on the inside. Tracy, too, has an incredible story. Pre-COVID, between working at her hair salon, she was driving two and a half hours each way at her own expense to teach yoga to the all-male population of the Varner unit. She's constantly fighting to provide the inmates with proper tools and yoga instruction. Since last spring, she's been unable to teach her classes in person or even speak with her students. So she taught herself how to produce meditation DVDs to deliver some semblance of relief to the prisoners. Hi, Tracy. Hi. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So you are a yoga teacher at the Varner Unit for Arkansas Department of Corrections, correct? Yes. And how did you get affiliated with the program? My formal training is done in Jasper, Arkansas. That's at Circle Yoga Shala. And in between um, my trainings there, I went out to Denver to visit my son and I wanted to take a training. And so I found the Prison Yoga Project training through with James Fox, and I um, did a training there with him at uh, Kindness Yoga. And doing the training was um, really got me got a fire lit under me to want to do that. And so fast forward a year or so later, James had gotten a letter from Jerome because he was contacting many um, different people about trying to get a teacher there because that was part of his lawsuit that, you know, he, he was able to have a teacher come in and teach actual classes. So he um, contacted me because he knew I was in Arkansas and he said, do you want to take this, you know, torch? And I said, well, it's two and a half hour drive one way. I said, but I'm going to give it a shot. So we started with the ball rolling like that. And then it took, oh gosh, two or three years, three years, I think before I actually walked through the doors. Wow. And before I actually met Jerome. So now that you have been, you've met Jerome and you're well better versed with his story, what can you tell us about his court case? What happened was, is he was, 
practicing his yoga. Okay. I'm not sure if it was in the day room of the barracks, but it was a public area. And um, he was in a headstand. And when he goes into a headstand, he can stay for a really long time. So he does a lot of meditation that way. And one of the security officers came by and made him get down out of his headstand. And he said he let it go that first time. So the second time it happened again, the same security officer jarred him out of his headstand. And when she did that, he, he asked her, he said, do you pray? And she said, yes, mm-hmm. yes, I do pray. And he says, do people disturb you when you're praying? And she said, well, no, why would they do that? And he said, because that's what you're doing to me. This is how I say my mm-hmm. prayer sometimes is in, in headstand. And uh, why was she trying to prohibit him from doing this? You know, um, I don't want to throw them all under the bus, but sometimes they instigate them, you know. Mm. And um, I also need to be careful because I do want to walk back in there. Um, mm-hmm. The way it happened is he filed a grievance and the grievance turned into the lawsuit because he wasn't getting what he wanted from the grievance. And it was filed under uh, or it was the case was won because of a re- of religious purposes. You know, this right. is what he studies. This is his religion. And so um, that's how it got won. And it took years to get through. And then, like you said, it took about three more years after the case was won for you to walk through the door. That's correct. Yeah. I don't know how long it actually took for his whole lawsuit from beginning to end. I'm sure all that is in his in public record. But uh, I know it took almost three years for me to actually walk through the door. You know, they go through changes with um, wardens and, you know, people that are, you know, the red tape. You know, I think I went through two wardens. I really like the warden that's there right now. He's he's very, um, he loves positive programming. Mm. So it's like once he came on board, things started rolling good. And the yoga program there was growing before COVID. Uh, yes. Um, the first day we went in there, I had four students, one being Jerome. And now there's 80, there was 84 on my roll when I left and we formed two classes. Oh, 84. Wow. Yeah. So I split them up into two classes. My, I call them my advanced class because they're the guys that have been with me the longest. There's usually about 20 or 30 in there. And then the other one is the overflow, which is 50 something. Mm. And we do it in the chapel. And what is the typical class like? Well, they come in, you know, and you, you know, you never know about how the day is going to go. You can never go by schedule, but I'm always there at 8.30. And sometimes we may not get started till 10, 10.30. You know, we're supposed to start at nine. And so once we do our, once we get our practice started, um, we usually do about an hour long practice. And then we have circle, you know, we circle up. We've, we've studied the Bhagavad Gita. When COVID hit, we were studying the Upanishads. And um, we've done a study. We did a seven-week study on the chakra system, um, and they really enjoyed that. And then, we, you know, we do our study. You know, we're usually together about two hours, you know, and then if they want to talk about anything, you know, if something's on their mind or whatever, which happens a lot, and then we break, and then usually lunch happens, and then we do it again in the afternoon. You do it twice a day, and do you go, where are you going in once a week? I go on Wednesdays, Wednesdays once a week. And I'm usually, I usually leave there. They'd like it, like me to typically leave by about four, four thirty. But sometimes I don't leave till four thirty or five. It just depends on how the schedule has rolled. And it's a really long drive for you, isn't it? Yeah, it's a hundred, around one hundred fifty miles. It's it's a five hour round trip drive every week. Every week. And so when you were approached to do it, 
Was it an easy decision for you? Yes. I didn't even have to think about it. I'm very passionate about what I do with them. Like you can see some of their artwork back here. My plant here, this came from a piece from the chapel um, that they gave me. His name's Namaste. <laughs> Love it. Um, but these these men, and if I ever get to go into a women's facility, you know, they, they need uh, recovery. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times they just want to have somebody to listen and... You know, that yoga helps them. I'm sure you know what yoga can do for you mentally, Mm -hmm. physically. So I do want to read part of this letter that Jerome wrote to me because um, he had seen a cover story that I wrote about Rosie Acosta, who's a meditation teacher Mm -hmm. in L.A. And he just had the loveliest things to say about you. Oh, he Um, did? (laughs) Yeah. So Jerome wrote this to me in 2019 in June. Dear Lindsay, kudos for your moving article on Rosie Acosta in December 2018 Yoga Journal. I would like to bring to your attention to another amazing and truly extraordinary selfless soul, Tracy Davis, who, like Rosie, deserves applause. Tracy is my spiritual mentor and yoga instructor here at Barner Unit of the Arkansas Department of Correction, ADC, an all-male maximum security prison. She drives five hours round trip every Wednesday just to be here without compensation for time or expenses. What started as a small morning class of only half dozen inmates has morphed into two classes with total attendance of upwards of 70 and a waiting list of 20 or more. The second class was approved by prison officials only after the first was successful for months without mishap. Tracy arrives at Varner around 8.30 a.m. and often does not leave until 5. The late departure is due to variances in the class schedules caused by problems within the prison, such as fights, lack of security, a security officer must be present during class, emergency and or regular count, counting of prisoners, or the inexplicable delays in completing count, which can sometimes take up to an hour or an hour and a half or more. She has learned to be patient, though, and to go with the flow. After all, this is the ADC who fought hard but failed to prevent yoga from being practiced and taught in their prison system a story unto itself. Tracy raised funds via donations from family, friends, and customers of her hair salon to purchase yoga mats and copies of the Bhagavad Gita for everyone. Other essentials such as lessons, booklets on chakras, herbal, aromatic oils, prayer, meditation malas, and specifically requested spiritual books, she simply purchases out of her pocket. She is truly extraordinary. This is her passion, which she aspires to do full-time. That is, teach yoga through the ADC and to at-risk youths in her hometown. To do so, however, she needs financial guidance and assistance, and for that, she needs exposure, someone to bring to light her selfless service. And then he gave me some information for how to contact you, and he went on. While other prison systems across the nation welcome yoga and embrace it for what it is, a spiritual tradition with proven therapeutic benefits, Christian-oriented senior ADC officials staunchly opposed it. A long and tedious legal battle ensued in federal court for years. At one point, even after a settlement had been reached, we were told that Tracy would never be allowed to enter Varner Unit to teach yoga, mainly because of being female. The issue was absolved, though, after threats of reopening the case were made along with a gender discrimination lawsuit. Still, it took another year or so for completion of the required paperwork that would have taken only days for a Christian volunteer. I'm sending a couple of letters and documents that shed light on this historical event. And Tracy can provide you with more answers to any questions. She stepped up when others declined after the door was finally legally opened for yoga at Varner. She's the real heroine in all of this and still carries the torch, a light and a beacon of hope in this dark and dismal subculture. Please help Tracy with her endeavor. Namaste and kindest regards. 
So that was such a beautiful letter. I forgot. I, I'd really forgotten about that, which I think I told you when we first met that, you know, he's trying to do all those things for me that he said in the letter and he's in jail, you know, he's in prison and I'm doing just fine out here, <laughs> you know? And so it gets me a little verklempt <laughs> thinking about those <laughs> words because he's very kind. Well, you know, it really goes to show how much of a difference one person can make and the difference that you're making in the lives of these people who, like you said, they just need someone to listen and they're looking for that. And what a great tool to be able to share yoga with someone who is looking for spiritual guidance. The Yoga Show will return in a moment after these messages. During COVID, you and I spoke about some of the roadblocks that were happening, um, maybe not necessarily because of the ADC, but because of just COVID restrictions. And um, you haven't been able to go in, understandably so. Uh, many of the men have gotten COVID. Jerome had COVID. And then you sa- I think you said there were some issues getting some DVDs to them. Yeah. After so, after so much time went by, the chaplain, whom I have a very good rapport with, he came after I came had reached out to me and asked me if there is any non-sectarian, non-asana slash posture, for those that don't know what asana means, videos out there, or sermons is the word he used. And so I said, well, I'm sure there are. I don't know. Let me see what I can do. If not, I'll make some, you know. So then I immediately called my teacher, Holly, and I was like, oh my God, you know, how am I going to do this? (laughs) Well, meditation. So meditation is what I came up with. And um, I started trying to film or, you know, film these DVDs, which to a person that's not computer literate very much, like a lot of people, I had a hard time figuring that out. Mm. And then I couldn't say the word yoga. I couldn't, you know, it couldn't have anything to do, no mention of Hinduism or any. any. That's what I get confused about because the court case was to practice his religion. Right. Well, but it can't have any. Right. And I, I questioned it in a way where I was very careful. You have to be really careful with your words when you're questioning the ADC. And the answer I got was they could not go into the chapel as a group because of the COVID. And so they were going to broadcast this throughout the whole unit. So whether you came to yoga mm-hmm. or not, you were going to be seeing this video. So it made okay. more sense to me once they did that. Gotcha. I got that answer. Because I'm a little stubborn. I'll get like, you know, mama bear, you know, when somebody tries to, you know. But anyway, so then I just said, okay. So I started doing some meditation DVDs. I did send one one time where I needed grounding before I started recording. Or when I started recording, I felt, I still felt really up. And so I usually film from here up, you know, just because. And so I just had them inhale their arms up and down three times and then stretch over to the side, stretch over the side and be done. Then we went into our meditation. Mm-hmm. They denied it. because <laughs> They denied it. Yeah. Because it had yoga in it, even though I didn't say the word yoga. But, oh, stretching? But I had movement in it, you know, because I don't, I don't really, I don't practice with them when I'm in there teaching. My advanced students, I will, because they've been with me the longest and we can all kind of practice together. Most of the time I'm walking around the room and, you know, making sure everybody's doing their postures properly. But 
it just felt like a okay time to do that. And it was very mild mm-hmm. and very subtle and it got denied. So then I got ticked because I was like, oh my gosh, it takes so much energy to make a DVD like that. A med- yeah. Even just to do meditation for someone else, it takes so much energy out of you. Anyway, I filmed another one. Oh gosh. <laughs> Send it in. And that one went through. Yeah. I sent them one recently. I think it was in October. I was training and um, I got a letter from Jerome after that one because you could hear the tree frogs because I was at my training. They, you know, you stay in this old barn. Well, it's a beautiful barn, but the window was open and you could hear all the tree frogs and the crickets and things. And I didn't think anything of it. I was hoping it wasn't going to disturb them, but I got a letter from him later and he said, all I could think about was that tree frog. They could take oh. it, they could hear it, you know, because they certainly don't hear it where they're at. Yeah. So that made me feel good that, but yeah, I'm tired of doing DVDs. I'm ready to get back in person. Yeah. And do you have any inclination as to when that might be? No, I don't. Uh, the gossip is January, but I'm thinking it's probably going to be summer. Well, I talked to Jerome a few weeks ago and I was asking him sort of just about the conditions in prison and mm-hmm. um, with overcrowding and stuff and COVID and and when he thought they were going to get the vaccine. And he just kind of said, you know, they don't tell us anything. We would hope that we would get it sooner rather than later because of the conditions that we're living in. But it was it seemed unclear. Yeah, they're, I'm, I'm not allowed to talk to him. We email and do letters, but I'm not allowed to physically speak to him. I tried to get on approval to do a video chat with him when all this started and I got denied and I wrote the warden and I said, what's the deal? Cause I'm his CRA, you know, I'm like his spiritual advisor. And he said, they're not allowed to, CRAs are not allowed to visit. I'm just really curious about how they're doing in there in prison during COVID. Do you have any ideas? It seems like you're not in super close contact with them. I believe that it's gone through there pretty massively. I know from Jerome's letter that they, they only see the people that are in their barracks, that they're still, they're, you know, they're having, they are, you know, for a while they were really quarantined. I don't even think they were, they weren't going to the mess hall for food. I think they were bringing their food in, but I'm thinking that maybe they, you know, they, they're still able to do their jobs. So, you know. So they still have them working. Yeah. And the, the prison next door to them, which is called Cummings, that's where it hit first in Arkansas. I mean, and it went through there like a freight train and just over 800 cases, I think. Wow. It was a while before it even got to Varner. And the Varner people, the, the guys at Varner were cooking for the guys at Cummings. So, but it took a while to get into Varner. But, um, but yeah, when I found out that Jerome had the virus, I attribute his practice to getting him through it the way it did because he's he is a beast. I mean, he's 60, I think he's 64 years old and he is in impeccable shape. You know, he's mm. very serious about his practice. But I do know that several of my students had it. I don't think any of my students died from it. Just waiting game. Yeah. So the COVID death rates for the prison population in the U.S. are pretty staggering, whereas for the regular population, we're seeing about 35 deaths per 100,000, where in jails, we're looking at 68 deaths per 100,000 COVID cases. Yeah, that's not surprising. Um, You know, they have upwards to 50 to 60 men in a barracks. And so, I mean, how big are they? They're they're. from what I from what I've been told, I think the the space between their bunks is maybe two feet. 
Wow. Because I always wondered, why don't you practice in your barracks? Well, because they don't want to disturb the guy on the bunk next to them, you know. Yeah, because they're right on top of each other. Yeah. They can't even take, they don't take their mats to their, the mats stay in the chapel. Mm. I just got, I just received word from the chaplain about one of my students was wanting to, I guess he filed, he might have filed a grievance, I don't know, wanting to take his mat to his barracks so he could practice. Because, you know, when and he wanted to know if I had told them that they could do that. And I said, no, I was un- under the impression that they couldn't because of a space issue, but I always thought they could just roll it out and put it under their mat- mattress, you know. Mm-hmm. But I doubt very seriously if they let him take it. I hope they did. And I told the chaplain, I hope that they would allow it. But, you know, you don't necessarily need a mat to practice yoga. <laughs> that is true. You know. <laughs> now, what do you, when you go in there, what are some of the teachings that they gravitate most toward? A lot of them like the powerhouse stuff, really heavy flow. I can think of one particular student that he suffers from PTSD and he likes that powerhouse stuff, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. But, you know, I had a guy in there that was probably seven foot tall and I can't even think about how big, how much he weighed, but huge, could probably, you know, lift anything. But yoga was quite challenging for him. Mm -hmm. You know, just minor stretching, just the most minor movements, you know, they had a hard time with it, you know, so we might do flow. Sometimes I do more restorative. I really don't plan my classes. I wait till they walk in and I see the energy in the room and that tells me what I'm going to teach them that day. Mm-hmm. Now, when you met Jerome, he had already been practicing for a while. Mm-hmm. Do you know how he came to yoga? I'm not really sure, but I know that he gets Yoga Journal Magazine. And so that's a lot of how he's learned as far as postures and such. He's been practicing for a long time. I want to think upwards to like over 15 years, Mm. um, just self-taught. And he runs, he probably runs at least five miles a day if he can. Okay. Just in the gym, because a lot of times they don't get outside. At all. During the day? No. So he runs every day, sometimes twice a day. But the yoga and the meditation, he's really big into the meditation. He loves that part. They all love Mm -hmm. the meditation part. I mean, some of the newbies, some of the younger ones, you know, that are in there that don't know how to settle down a little bit, they have a hard time with it. But after a while, they get it. Yeah. It takes practice for everyone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We'll be right back with more from The Yoga Show. I'd love to give a little bit of Jerome's backstory. Um, you said he's been practicing for about 15 years and he's been in and out of jail. I know just from what I've read on on the internet, he has escaped from prison quite a few times. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like three or four, I think. There's probably going to be a lot of judgment out there, but depending on who's going to be listening to this, he didn't have the best upbringing. Mm. You know, his story starts there. Um, his father was a paraplegic. He had an accident. So he was raised by, I believe his, his mother left when his father became a paraplegic and uh, he's, he, he lived with his aunt and, you know, she did the best job she could do, um, but she, you know, had an abusive husband herself. And so he mm-hmm. witnessed that his uncles kind of came in and started trying to raise him and they all were safe robbers. They would rob crack safes and he would be the lookout. Mm, how old was he? Um, I think they started giving him pills 
probably at the, around the age of nine. So then they started robbing pharmacies. But he, cracking safes was his main thing. Um, but he did get he did get addicted to the drugs because, you know, it was just started at such a young age. So then, then he started mm-hmm. robbing pharmacies. But as far as um, what the, re, you know, he, he broke out of prison several times. But the reason he's in there now, which this is probably what's going to turn people off, but I'm going to say it anyway, because I know him, is when he broke out of prison, he escaped to Venezuela. Before he went, he was with a friend and the friend had robbed a video store and he didn't have anything to do with it, but they got pulled over. I believe they didn't have anything to do with it because he told me so and I believe him, but they got pulled over. The guy that did the robin got in the police car, in the back of the police car. He breaks out of the police car and takes off running. Well, the one cop's going after him. The other cop's about to go after Jerome. Jerome grabs his gun. He's like, I'm not, I didn't do this, you know, mm. and he shoots him in the shoulder. Mm. The cop lived, went back to work, ended up retiring, is now deceased. And ironically, his son is in prison now. The cop's son? Yeah. What for? Um, we don't, I don't know. Okay. So, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, I wonder how he would feel about me now because he wanted me to fry forever, you know, for this heated altercation that happened. So anyway, he, after that happened and he got taken to jail, he broke he out. He got sentenced for like 135 years, I think, for attempted murder of a police officer. Once they, once he got caught, he escaped to Venezuela and he was there for 15 years. He had married. He had started his mm-hmm. own heating and air company. He was a, a upright citizen. They adopted a child. And then socialism happened. Uh, is it Chavez or who's the guy over there in Venezuela? I don't know. He came in. But anyway, they were, he said my family was starving. We couldn't, you know, they, the government. His family was. Yeah, so. the government took over. I couldn't feed my family anymore. And we had to flee back to the United States. So when he got to the United States, he was sitting in a bar having a cheeseburger and somebody recognized him because he had been on America's Most Wanted and that's how he got caught. And so that's so someone saw him in the bar that had seen him on America's Most Wanted and like called the mm-hmm. hotline. Yeah. That's how he got caught. Wow. And so yes, his sentence is like ridiculous. I mean he's been in prison he's been back in prison now for 18, 19 years maybe and mm-hmm. has been nothing but up in his class, you know, he's a class one, you know, he's, he hasn't caused any trouble, no more trying to attempt to break out. Now is his sentence so high because it was attempted murder of a police officer or because of the additional breakouts or everything? Cause it just seems like a very intense sentence. I think it, I think it, they threw him, they threw the book at him because of the shooting of the cop. Yeah. Yeah. Which he is very remorseful. I mean, he's like, I would never kill anybody. You know, his, his game was cracking safes. You know, he wasn't, a you know, and breaking out of prison. Right. But he was, you know, he, he suffered a lot of abuse his whole life and he suffered a lot of abuse behind bars. And he was like, I'm not, this is not where I want to live. He's kind of been on his own since he was young. I mean, he has family that loved him and, you know, his uncles didn't know any better because they're like, you know, they were probably raised that way too. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a genetic chain. And what happened to his wife and his adopted child? They divorced. He has not seen his adopted child as far. And I'm pretty sure I think he has a natural child as well, but no contact. You know, I think after a while when they, when he got back put in prison, when he got put back in prison, 
they tried to keep the relationship, but she just couldn't. I don't think that she could. But yeah, Tough. so he he didn't try to pressure it. You know, he knew he was going to be in there. So I spoke with Jerome a, maybe a week or so at this point now ago, and he told me that he's involved with another court case. He is not the plaintiff. He is working on it. Is he a lawyer? He might as well be. <laughs> he uh, he probably should have been. I told him, I said, you should have went to law school while you were in here. I bet he's representing another student named Nicholas Roos. Okay. Now, this is about vegan food. So yes. they would like a vegan diet. They had a vegan um, diet at one time. And he told me that, yeah, when they get tofu, when they do get tofu, it's way expired. It's moldy. It tastes rotten. I did a little bit of research and I found that there have been cases like this already in which it's been found that, yes, the, if, a, if a diet is part of a religion, then the prisons and jails are legally bound to adhere to that and provide that for the person inside. I mean, first of all, the food is for shit there. I mean, I'm surprised they don't starve to death. I mean, I feel like it's modern day slavery, but can you anyway. elaborate? I don't want anything to happen to my program because I feel like mental health is lacking so much in the program. And I can share this part of the story with you. I had a student um, that was a class one and he was very well liked. And And when you say class one, that is relating to your yoga class, correct? No, class one is their class. Like there's class one, which is the best. And then there's class four where you're, where you're the bad class one in prison. Okay. Yeah. And he got busted for supposedly, they had a package that was delivered and there was tobacco in it. Well, him and another guy that were both C1s got busted and got thrown in the hole. And um, they were two of my really good students. And one of them had messed around with the yoga class a little bit, but then decided he didn't want to do it anymore. They both, you know, got disciplined for it. Neither, they didn't do it. I know they didn't do it. Everybody else knows they didn't do it, but they took the fall for it. When they came back out of their disciplinary, one of them went right back to normal, but the other one got put in a barracks where there's a lot of drugs and he fell off the wagon Mm. and he went back down that road with drugs. And I kept sending, you know, my prayers to him and to the, my other student that got in trouble with him. And um, I said, encourage him to come back to yoga. And so weeks and weeks went by and he finally one day walked in because I never took him off the list. I was so excited to see him, but I could tell that he was struggling, you know. And so after a while, you know, and I always encourage them to journal. And if they're mad at somebody, write him a letter, you know, don't send it. You don't have to send it, even if they're dead. Mm -hmm. But anyway, he asked to counsel with me. I said, okay. So we go into a room, we, you know, the door's open, we're in the chapel and he pulled out his journal and he said, read that. And so I read it and it was about his childhood and about how he was prostituted by his stepmother when he was like seven. Oh my gosh. So anyway, you could probably see where I'm going with this. I said, I don't know how I can help you. And he said, I just need somebody to listen. And he said, mm-hmm. I don't, want to be doped up on pills all the time you know I need to talk to someone I get to see a psychiatrist one time every three months through a screen and it's just to get my pills I don't want my pills I need somebody to talk to he says I'm getting out of here in seven years and I need to know how to come back to society Mm. you know so 
we, we met two more times after that. And then the next week, uh, the fourth week, I said, do you need to talk again? He said, no, I'm doing good. You know, he was doing good. And that wasn't long after that, that COVID hit. That's, the, that's why it's so important to me that I continue to go because yeah. it's somebody that cares. I don't care. I tell them all the time. I don't care what you did to get in here. It's not my business. I want to serve you and I want to try to help you get better. It seems like such an uphill battle. Yeah. Our world is so messed up. Yes. I feel that we talk about this a good amount, just that the systems that are in place are not in favor of reform or of helping anyone. They really don't work the way they work the way they were intended to. They don't work the way they pretend to intend to. Yeah. Sometimes I wish I could talk to the warden off the record and just roll my sleeves up with them and just say, can't this be fixed? Mm. I mean, I wish I could have just five minutes of time with him and just say, this cannot make anybody happy to know that we have all these people in cages Mm. and they just need mental help. Mm -hmm. They have a history. Their families have histories. I'm just so appreciative of the work that you're doing. I admire it so much because it's so important. And like you said, your student is getting one meeting with a psychiatrist every three months. I'm not in prison and I need to see my therapist three times a month at least. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My, my goal is before the shutdown, my goal is I have futuristic goals for this program. I want to start a school there. You know, four of my students are now in seminary. They started a seminary down there, seminary college, and you had to be chosen. And four of my students I wrote recommendation letters for that wanted to do it. And um, they all got in. Nicholas, the vegan, being one of them. My goal is to start a school down there, certify some of the students. You know, they'll have to be chosen as far as who can come into the program. And then that way they can have yoga every day from a certified teacher within the walls of the prison. So I talked with my teachers because, you know, I'd love to model it or, you know, go underneath them for their teachings, you know. So I I talked to the warden about it and he said, write a proposal letter and I'll get it to the right people. And then the shutdown happened. And so, you know, it's still in the back of my mind and I'm still, you know, hoping to do that. Yes. Well, let us know how we can help. I mean, how can listeners help you, your program, maybe a program local to there where they live? Well, um, after much pushback, I started a nonprofit. So we, the guys and I formed a name for our program, which is called One Yoga Outreach. And the one stands for overcoming negative energy. I had a website, but I'd shut it down because of the lack of, you know, it costs money every month. But um, now I'm teaching on Saturdays. I'm teaching community classes again in my studio. And so it's donation based. So whatever money's I get there, then I put it into the account. And so I can start sending books to them and things like that. So we don't have a website. We do have a Facebook page, One Yoga Outreach. So if anybody wants to check that out, I try to post letters and things that I get from them. But if you have, if you have the chance to support a ministry like this, it's very important. Um, even if you just write letters or donate to a nonprofit that does this kind of work, you know, I'm just a one-man show. My sister is the one that forced me into doing a nonprofit. And I'm like, all right, well, you got to do all the paperwork because I just want to <laughs> teach the class, you know. Just be aware. Don't throw, don't throw them away out of your heart. We are not to forget about the widows and the prisoners and their people, too. And I don't know what draws me to this work. I know one thing. When I go in there to teach, it's not me teaching it. So, Do you feel like I, you're channeling? Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, very much so. And the more I do it, the more I know that I have to do it until it's taken away from me. Well, thank you for doing it. If we have any books or mats or anything, is there a way that we can send them? Yeah, I mean, I use my um, my home address. You know, um, I have my I have a studio now again. I didn't have a studio for a while. They can send it um, to me directly. Like I said, I have a um, Facebook page. Like yeah, I said, so I had a, they can I had a website. You on Facebook. Yeah, they can con- Tracy Davis on Facebook and One Yoga Outreach. And I'm in Arkansas, so I'm not really hard to find. It's kind of small here. <laughs> the I do need. I, I should give a shout out to Manduka. Um, when I first did this, I wrote Manduka. I raised four hundred dollars and contacted three mat companies, and Manduka was the only one that they sent me forty new mats for four hundred dollars. Oh. So they all got brand new mats, and then I've had other people donate as well. One a girl that I did the social injustice training with a couple of years ago out in Indiana, she sent me some mats, and it's my mission. It's my calling. So it will. Like I said, I'll do it until it's taken away from me. But they do like getting books. I just sent some books to two other units. I learned of one of our local students or one of our locals here that is in prison. Sent him some. Sent him a book. He he told his mother that he had recently found yoga. He's been in prison in and out since he was a teenager. He said it's 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 changed his life. So of course I sent him a book on the chakras and, <laughs> I, <laughs> and he loved it. So. That's wonderful. I do get a fair amount of books myself, so we can be in touch and I can get some to you. Wonderful. Thank you. I'll take them. We're starting our own library down there. Oh, great. Yeah. I miss them. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. Um, I can't wait till I get to walk into the doors again. Yeah, they miss Um, you too. It's such important work. And like I said, I'm seeing more and more people start to do this in prisons and I'm so glad. And people think that it's weird that I'm a woman and I'm going into a men's prison, but it's not like that. They respect me. So they, they are not, you know, ogling me and those kinds of things. That never happens. That's one of the things people always ask me. And it's like, it doesn't happen. They respect me and I respect them. Yeah, I'm sure they do. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm glad I wasn't thrown away for all the bad things I've done. Yeah, no one deserves to be completely judged for the worst thing they've ever done. Right. I'm really happy to have this opportunity, and I really appreciate you answering the call for Jerome. Um, This was like his lifelong dream was to be able to have his story told. I'm so happy and blessed to be a part of it and to help tell it. And um, I look forward, so forward to when um, COVID is over and I can go visit him and, you know, sit down with him and really get his story down on paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening, and thanks to both Tracy and Jerome for sharing their stories with us. If you'd like to help Tracy with books and materials for her students, find her on Facebook. And feel free to reach out to me at lins.tucker on Instagram for help with coordination. That's it for The Yoga Show for this week. For more eye-opening, mind-expanding, and heart-filling content, follow Yoga Journal on social media. The Yoga Show is produced by me and Aviv Rubenstein. Follow him on social media at Rainbow Calrissian. Theme music by Amory Sievertson. More from her at amorymusic.com. Until next time for The Yoga Show, I'm Lindsay Tucker. We'll see you on the mat.